Some might call this a serial killer family, dating back to as early as 1920s. With as many as 70 possible bodies buried on a 2,800-acre ranch. With that kind of body count, I'd say serial killer family doesn't do justice to this family. Not just murder, drugs, theft, fraud. This is a murder empire. pocket full of crime, my weird friends. If you are new, welcome. Thank you for joining my freak fam. Pull up a seat, pour some wine, let's listen to some true crime. This case was requested by a sweet local listener, Tiffany, who reached out and expressed how much she liked listening to my content. I looked up this case right away and was so intrigued And to be honest, a little overwhelmed with how much is involved and how far back this case dates back. There wasn't as much information online as I expected. There is, however, a book written on this case, more so about the life on the 2,800-acre ranch and the haunting souls left behind. So I will leave a link and information where to find this book at the end if you were interested in digging deeper into this crazy case. Back to my local listener's neck of the woods. Along the eastern plains, among the rolling wheat and irrigated cornfields, we are taken to Stratton, Colorado. Located in Kit Carson County, 130 miles from Denver, along I-70. Population was estimated at 669 in the 2010 census. Stratton was named in honor of gold miner Winfield Scott Stratton. Stratton is mostly a farming and ranching community, also known statewide for its excellent hunting, deer, antelope, and pheasants. Now that I'm back in my Colorado real estate stomping grounds, here is your fun real estate facts. Median income per household is $32,000. Median income per family is $36,000. Male median income is $31,000 versus female, which is $17,000. Ladies, with all due respect, those are rookie numbers. We need to step this up and show them who run the world. Girls, we run this mother. Median home value is only $52,000, which is lower than the average county median home value priced at $122,000. 61% of homes in Stratton are owned, leaving 21% rented and 18% vacant. Average rent per month is going for $685. 
The most expensive listing I found was a single-family, five-bedroom, three-bath, 3,384 square foot home, priced at $224,900. This was built in 1933, and this price leaves you paying $66 per square foot. Since I'm licensed in Colorado, I can say this legally. For a showing, hitch a girl up. Did you know you could support my podcast with a small monthly donation? That's right. You can choose from three different donation options as little as $1 to $10 monthly. Don't get me wrong, this podcast will always be free to listen to. This is an additional option to support my podcast and ensure future content. I will leave a link in the description where you can click to donate. Okay, now back to the creepy shit. Michael McCormick, son of Tom McCormick, from Stratton, Colorado, lived and operated McCormick Ranch, one of the largest spreads in the county at the time. 2,800 acres of wheat, corn, soybeans, grazing land for livestock, and a feedlot on the side. This was valued at $2 million back in early 1980s, which would have jumped tremendously if it were valued today. Tom McCormick was fiercely antisocial. He kept busy and saw little of his neighbors. He would chase off locals and drive all the way to Denver to hire ranch hands at harvest time. In 1980, as many farms and ranches know all too well, financial struggles hit. Tom had to sell pieces of land and the feedlot fell into bankruptcy. As an extra source of income, Tom relied and operated with son Michael, a chop shop, dealing with stolen cars and trucks, even hiring homeless men from Denver to assist him and Michael in stealing vehicles. August 30th, 1984, a truck driver, Idaho man named Herbert Donahoe, 60 years old, was reported missing after a failed meetup with friends at a Wheat Ridge truck stop. Authorities verified he didn't make it back to Caldwell, Idaho, so they then started to search for Herbert's truck, a brown 1977 Kenworth. Mid-July of 1985, Herbert Donahoe's truck was identified in Roseburg, Oregon, with altered serial numbers. The truck was in possession of a man who had bought it in December of 1984 in Arizona. The sale was then traced back to Michael McCormick. You might hear me refer to him as Mike throughout this episode. Mike was indicted on multiple felony charges in 1985, including drugs and theft. Mike fled, but was captured in Nebraska January of 1986. In captivity, This is where the real story begins. At this point, investigators already believed Donahoe was dead. This is when Michael struck up a deal with prosecutors, offering up Donahoe's body, among others, along with their killer in return for leniency. He would then plead guilty and serve two years in prison for the theft charge. As the old saying goes, blood is thicker than water. But in this case... Blood runs diluted, and family will cross you quicker than a stranger. Michael told authorities his father, Tom McCormick, was responsible for the murder of missing truck driver Donahoe. Michael claimed his father hit Donahoe over the head with a sledgehammer. 
then was forced to help his father put the body in a sleeping bag and assist in burying him in a wheat field near Byers, Colorado. Remember Byers from my Ginny May episode? Along with Donahoe, Michael accused his dad of up to 18 men murdered and buried on the family's 2,800-acre ranch. According to Michael, his father recruited homeless men from a church mission called Christian Men's Center, located at 2228 Larimer Street in Denver. Once recruited, he would withhold pay and wouldn't allow the men to leave the ranch. Once complaints were filed with state employment officials, Tom would start killing the ranch hands when it came time to pay them, not even giving them the opportunity to file a complaint and raise any suspicion. Tom would shoot, strangle, and even beat the men to death before burying them on the ranch. Tom made sure he picked men that he believed family and society had forgotten. Men that no one would notice if they went missing. In compliance to Michael's plea bargain, he led investigators to the Eastern Plains family ranch where they were able to locate the three graves of Robert Lee Sawarsh, James Perry Sinclair, and James Irvin Plants. Two bodies were found in the backyard of Mike McCormick's trailer house, and the third was located along a fence line south of Tom's house. Mike claims one victim was a ranch foreman and the other a burglar, and the third body was truck driver Donahoe. Mike stated he came home to his trailer house to find the burglar in his house. He then called his dad on a CB radio, and his father, Tom, took care of the burglar by strangling him to death. The ranch hand was supposedly killed over a dispute over liquor and shot to death by Tom. So how did Michael know exactly where the bodies were located if he wasn't the killer himself? Michael claimed his father threatened to kill him if he did not help bury the bodies. In one grave, there were also two shovels discovered, which corroborated with Michael's story. The search for more bodies was halted by then-CBI director Neil Maloney due to lack of funding. Now, you're probably wondering, what now? They have three bodies, Michael's story checked out, and they were led to the exact gravesite, so case closed, right? Tom McCormick was arrested January 1986 and charged with murder, but told a cellmate it was in fact Michael who killed Donahoe and stole his 1977 Kenworth from a Wheat Ridge truck stop. Jefferson County started to notice holes in Michael's story, ultimately leading charges to be dropped against his father, Tom, due to lack of credible evidence to build a case against him. Accusations just weren't enough to keep him behind bars. However, Michael was charged and convicted of first-degree murder for the death of Donahoe. But there were two shovels discovered in that grave, right? Patrick Mulligan was Michael's appeal attorney, and Patrick states his client Michael passed a lie detector test when asked questions about the murder of Donahoe. Patrick also stated he didn't think Michael's discrepancies in different accounts were substantial. 
In 2005, Patrick Mulligan was successful in getting Michael's conviction overturned in the Court of Appeals. He successfully proved his client's trial was ineffective. Jefferson County did refile murder charges, but later entered another plea bargain with Michael. At this time, Michael had only served 22 years of his life sentence. Michael was able to plead guilty to second-degree murder if he would not have to serve any additional time in prison. Upon Michael's release, 13th Judicial District Attorney Bob Watson reopened the murder investigation. He asked his part-time investigator, Holloway, to see if it was possible for her to locate up to 14 ranch hand bodies who were believed to have been murdered and buried on the ranch. Watson states, quote, In a lot of ways, these were considered disposable human beings. Investigator Holloway expressed in cases like these, when two suspects point the finger at each other, it complicates the case, but finding the graves of other men and victims might offer up more clues about who commit the murders. For example, if a victim showed more than one weapon was used in the death, it indicates more than one killer. Authorities had already found such evidence in 1987. One of the three bodies discovered that Michael had led investigators to, Sawarsh, his skeleton indicated he was shot in the head with a shotgun, and his body had five pistol wounds, as well as heavy fence wire wrapped around his lower right leg. Holloway was able to collect 15 boxes of evidence from Jefferson County, six boxes from Kit Carson County, and most critical evidence organized digitally. The three bodies dug up were stored in a lab at Colorado State University until 2002. They were later transferred to Kit Carson County and stored in evidence boxes. Holloway also used victims' assistance funding to pay to have all three victims cremated and returned to their families. Holloway made contact with Plants' family and learned they had no idea his body was found or even that he had died. Holloway stated, His sister had died a few months before I called, and she died not knowing what happened to him. Sinclair's family had made prior requests to obtain the remains after the investigation was complete, but his body remained in an evidence box. Sinclair's daughter, Pamela Nail, died four years prior to Holloway making contact. Lonnie Nail, Pamela's husband, stated, quote, She tried to, and they said they had to keep the body for a study. It was important to her to put her dad to rest. So where was Michael after being set free in 2006, after only serving 22 years of a life sentence? Well... Michael went into real estate, real estate liquidations, and foreclosure scams. Michael went into business with Michelle Lee Thompson, 38-year-old woman from Parker, Colorado. The two would invest in rundown properties, refurbish them, and resell. Both Michael and Michelle once owned properties in Granby Ranch, but they had both recently sold them. So this next event would have to take place at an acquaintance's house. Michael, then 53, kidnapped his co-worker, Michelle, who was mistakenly reported as his girlfriend in many news forms. 
and took her to an acquaintance's home in Granby, 109 Timber Court. Michelle made one single call when in captivity, and only under the watch of Michael. Michelle called a friend, a former roommate. She told this friend she was being held against her will and told this friend to tell her mother she loved her and to pick up her son. She was able to convey who the kidnapper was, but not their location. This friend then reported the kidnapping to Parker Police at 2 p.m. Parker Police were able to find Michelle's car abandoned at a service station in Parker. Michael ultimately ended up killing Michelle before turning the gun on himself. Both had died with a single gunshot wound to the head. Michael was found with the handgun still in his hand. It appeared to have an obvious time lapse between deaths of the two bodies, indicating Michael had waited some time before killing himself. Police in Granby were alerted by Parker police, but due to an outdated car registration address, police responded to the wrong address. Granby police did, however, locate Michael's car a block away at Timber Court. The police attempted numerous times calling both Michael and Michelle's cell phones, but no answer. Later, they would discover the batteries had been removed from each cell phone. Police then set up a perimeter to the right of the house. They used a pole camera to view inside the home, but detected no activity inside. At 5.12 a.m., police heard one single gunshot. This was after they had bored a hole in a window to insert a cell phone in hopes of negotiating with the suspect. When police entered the home, they found both Michael and Michelle dead. Speculation said possible murder motive was frustration with his business partner, Michelle. It was said some people were dissatisfied with the work Michael was doing, and that Michael had grown tired of his own disappointments in himself, and yet another failure. Michael is survived by one adult son. With all of the overwhelming evidence, neither Michael nor his father Tom would ever make it to be tried again. Tom as well died November 15, 1997, in Aurora. Father and son took their secrets to the grave. If you liked this story, there is so much more I am just not able to cover. However, there was a book written named Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L. Author of this book is Tracy Beach. You can find this book on Amazon for $18. If you were interested in diving deeper and do read this book, let me know how you like it and any details I missed. Enjoy this week's bloopers. I have the worst fucking sore throat. Excuse my French. I don't speak French, but I speak cuss words. Legit, I really do have a sore throat. So if I sound weird, that's why. Due to lack of credible, due to lack of credible, why is that word so hard for me to say today? Credible, 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 credible. It's like I want to record and the dogs just want to bark and fight and rip my carpet apart running in the basement. You guys listen to this pug. Yeah, yeah, he wants to say hi. Ew. Oh, that was loud. 
after the investigation was complete. <sighs> How dare somebody flush a toilet right now? As always, thank you for listening. This wraps it up for the Murder Empire. Did Michael take his secrets to the grave? Was his dad involved? Was this a family tradition dating back to his grandfather in the 1920s? Let me know what your thoughts are and if you liked this case. Don't forget to go follow me on Instagram at pocketfullofcrime where I upload photos from each weekly case so you can put a face to the crime. Don't forget to give me a rating, like, follow, and share with a friend. Join me next Wednesday for my newest episode. I'm also going to try something new and add a conspiracy theories segment to my cast. Until next time, stay weird, my friends. Oh, and one more thing. Hi, Mom. And Tiffany. Thank you.